Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. Yay, Lauren. Oh, you're back. Thank you. Oh, my it's goodness. Been a while. It has two episodes. I am refreshed. Yes. Um, we probably got zero listeners on those two episodes. I know. I'm horrible. It's fine. I, it's I fine. tried. I tried. I tried to be you. At least you know I it. I came in with the my hair done, bangs, you had a bond, bangs, a bangs yeah. everything to, you know, I lowered my voice, tried to Wait, be you. I have a lower voice? Uh, I don't, I thought you? so. What? No. <laughs> But it, it didn't work. I okay. introduced, we had people call in and, and ask, where's Lauren? And we hate you, Brad. Oh, it was it was really bad. It's tough. It's it, it's not yeah. easy being Lauren. We I did have a that. celebrity guest co-host, though. Oh, a celebrity. Yes. Really? Yes. It oh. was it was very exciting. That makes me nervous. Yes, Tell they, me more. They asked me to replace you with, with this person. Okay. I'm just joking. Well, I made that right, up. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat lunch early. No, 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 no. Oh God! Um, well, Brad, we didn't, and you know, my co-host. Oh Brad, yes, thank yay. you, thank you, He's thank here you. Too. Anyway, so. no one clapped for me while you were out. I'm sorry. I know. Sorry. I clapped for myself. Um, maybe our our guests today will clap for you. I I don't know. I think we should clap for them since they're our guests. <laughs> oh, they're clapping. Oh, they're clapping. we have two two guests today, which yeah. is amazing. It's a first for us to have two together, isn't it? It. I oh, I don't know. We might have had in studio two guests before, but um. So today we are actually here with Tom Fulcher and Marty Festenstein. They were both with Savills, and Savills is a commercial real estate firm. Um. So welcome both of you to the show. Welcome. So glad to have you. Thank you. Um. So why don't you guys tell us a little bit about about your company, the work you do, and of course your backgrounds as well. All right. I'll get started. I'm Tom Fulcher. I am the head of the Savills Legal Tenant Practice Group. Um, we are, the firm is actually, uh, I think we started 1855. Oh, wow. wow. It's a British firm. Uh, they bought what was then Jewel Studley, which is a firm that was a U.S. tenant representation firm um, uh, like five or six years ago. And uh, it's a great, been a great partnership. Um, part of the firm uh, is what we have, what we call our legal tenant practice group. It's 150 people. Uh, we probably have 800 people in the firm totally in, in the North, in North America, but within that, we have about 150 people who focus on representing law firms. Um, so we represent them basically starting from helping them to establish what their office space needs are, um, all the way through building out their space, negotiating their deals, and then supporting them throughout the leases. Um, and law firms primarily do leases, supporting them throughout the leases with lease administration and negotiations over the course of time. And, uh, you know, ideally we have decades long relationship with our law firm clients. Awesome. What about you, Marty? My role at Savills uh, is to assist clients in establishing their workplace strategy, exposing them to their opportunities and options and assist in building consensus through change management amongst their stakeholders and shareholders. For 29 years, I've been assisting AmLaw 200 clients in creating what I call business of law inspired workplace solutions that drive the alignment of their real estate needs with their business goals and objectives. And I've done this on almost 18 million square feet in oh, my wow. career. So a little over 500 projects. I've only joined Savills about five and a half months ago. Oh, wow. Uh, and, I, and I spent the majority of my career in the architecture and design world. So most of my experience 
on the future of workplace is born out of the past 22 years specifically, in which I've co-chaired the legal practice at Gensler and chaired the legal practice at Nelson Worldwide, two international design firms with strong legal workplace practices. Yeah. So Tom, awesome. you had you had said eighteen. What was the year again? Eighteen fifty-five. Wow, yeah. you've been there a long, a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You look you look great. You, look you do look good. Tom. Wow, I tell you, you've been through quite a few uh, different plagues. I got started real. I started in nineteen eighty-six with the firm. Okay. Oh, all right. Thanks for the clarification. Thank, yeah, there. for clarifying. Yeah, I was definitely going to ask. You know, the comparison between the the plagues and is COVID worse? Yeah, yeah, the different centuries. Like I had a whole list of questions. I, I was like, this is amazing. So so just thinking of, you know, you've still been there quite a while. What what sets uh, uh, Savills apart from other commercial real estate firms? So the Studley part, the American part, was started by a, a man, Julian Studley, in 1954. Um, and his focus was on the user of office space. I think he looked and saw that People who owned buildings were well-represented, but the tenants weren't necessarily being well-represented. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a concept that he started in New York City and basically sort of grew, you know, grew and spread out throughout the country. Um, because I think in major markets across the, the country, there was a kind of an imbalance between what the landlords knew about the market and what the tenants knew about the market. So our job was to sort of bring that level of uh, expertise and focus and market knowledge to the people who use office space to make sure that they were getting the right space, the right deal, and the right support over the course of their occupancies in their in their spaces. And, and a lot of our work over time has been with law firms. I think the way we hire, you know, is to focus really on, on smart and creative people that, that mesh well with lawyers who are smart and creative people who ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So there's really an alignment, I think, between what we do and how we think and the way that lawyers work and how they think. Um, you know, and, and you know, I talked about just working with the tenant side only. Um, a lot of firms represent landlords as well. And we looked at that and really have sort of staked our whole existence on the fact that there's a real conflict of interest when a firm is representing both the landlord. They might have, you know, a landlord could have a 5 million square foot portfolio. You know, even a big law firm is not going to have anything close to that. So you know, there's an imbalance in terms of the needs and fees generated by the law firms and the tenants um, compared to what landlords could provide. And what we don't want to have happen is that a big landlord might call and tell somebody to back off, don't push so hard, don't represent your client so aggressively. I mean, we do not have that happening in our firm because basically we don't represent the landlord. Yeah, I think it's a really cool approach. I think um, you guys are a little bit ahead of the game because I I think nowadays we're seeing that everything is starting to be more people focused, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in the legal industry, but everywhere, you know, when it comes to hiring new people, culture at your employer, things like that, it's really shifting to focus on the person and not the the facility itself or, or the, those tangible items, which which I think is interesting. It's kind of cool that you guys have been in that world for a while and you can say like, yeah, we realized the importance of that a long time ago. And who would have thought, Lauren, that it would have taken something as horrific as a pandemic to create a people-centric approach to what the workplace uh, needs in which to accommodate them. Yeah. But when you think about all that has been going on in the past 24 months based on what the pandemic enabled and remote work 
and the social and social injustice issues going on uh, in this world. Uh, it has really created a whole new renaissance towards the whole perspective of what does the workplace need to do mm-hmm. to support people? Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, we talk about it all the time and you almost hate saying it, but there there definitely were some benefits that came out of the pandemic. Obviously, lots of terrible things, too. But um, there are some things coming out of it that have really shaped our, our future, I think. Yeah. And how we work, what you were saying, culture, people focused. Uh, it's history. You know, you see that in a lot of times in negative Things that occur throughout time, uh, many positive advancements come from it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Good impact. So, Tom, to piggyback on that a, a little bit. So, we talk a lot about how the pandemic has obviously affected the legal industry, but what have you guys seen, especially in regards to to real estate planning in the legal industry from the pandemic? What have you seen? Um, which Honestly, I think your answer could be even more interesting because what a lot of people are seeing from a real estate perspective, you guys were probably seeing before the pandemic since you took that more client-centric approach. Yeah. So I have to say, you know, one of the things I think even one of the things that sort of brought me into this business is just the ability to have an impact on how people live their lives every day, mm-hmm. you know, and and, it, and it's really continued to expand and what people look to our, our firm for, you know, for example, you just think about when you drive in and out of the garage, like what's that experience? Like when you come in and out of the yeah. lobby, just, I mean, there's all these things that basically affect people every day. So the, that's really a fun part of our business is not really just about numbers. It really is about the experience of people. And I think as you know, Marty said with the pandemic, it's really exacerbated that people sort of focus less on the numbers and more on the quality of experience. Um, you know, we had, I heard that the head of Accenture, Julie Sweet, made the comment that we have to earn your commute. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I, I think, you know, from the law firm management perspective, it's really, really important to have people come in and be together. I mean, the reason you hire one of these firms that charges $1,500 an hour, you know, the people that founded that firm have been long gone. But the people who were very good, they hired people who were very good, who hired people who were very good, and they trained people and trained people. So you're you're hiring that legacy, you're hiring that competence and that reputation. And the way that happens is because people are together and they work closely together, and then the associates learn from the senior people. So that that interaction happens over the course of time. And when that starts to fall apart, what am I buying? I'm buying basically that expertise. I'm buying the fact that that associate is supporting that partner who I'm trusting with my legal work um, in, a, in, a, in a competent and excellent way. So you, you think about the way that happens, it happens a lot better when people are together. And I think there are people who are like, hey, yeah, this is fine. I like working at home. But are you really getting the same level of mentorship? Are you getting the same level of interaction? You know, like Zoom calls. When you're in the office, 15 minutes before the client shows up, the associate and the partner are talking. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to talk about, et cetera. Here's what. And then after the it's done, there's a debrief, right? This is what you're going to do. This is what's going to happen. This is how we want to, how did you think it went, et cetera. You know, with Zoom calls and people just sort of coming in at the two o'clock call and leaving at three, that's not necessarily happening, right? The debrief and the, and the part at the beginning aren't necessarily happening very effectively. So from a management perspective, the firms are saying it's super important that people are together to make sure that there's a dispersion of the excellence of our firm and of our culture. So we need to bring people in. And I think 
the people who've been there a while said, hey, I'm fine working at home. I didn't need the commute, et cetera. So there's a little bit of a tension um, in terms of management goals and people saying, hey, it's fine. You know, that's why when management says you really should be in and the people who are working saying, yeah, but it's fine. You know, now we have to say, what's the thing that this could bring people back? Yeah. Right. And this is a lot of what we're looking to Marty for is what's that experience? What's the thing that's going to engage people? What's the thing? You know, Office Space did a great job getting up in the elevator, walking down the hall into, into your office. But does it do a good job of when you get there that, that we have uh, serendipitous interactions, that mm -hmm. people are together, that they're not boxed off from each other, that there's places for younger people who want to sort of move around. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, not that this was the point of, of what you just said, but even the thought of the lobby you know, in the parking garage. That's something I never really considered, but that's a part of the experience right. as well. Huh? Um, but on the flip side, the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking was the fact that you're in an industry where your clients have clients as well. So you're not necessarily just optimizing that space for your clients. You need to make sure it's something that's welcoming for their clients as well, because that is part of Honestly, it's part of their revenue stream. You know, if their clients come in and have a positive experience, what could be based on their culture, it could be based on the building they're in, it mm -hmm. could be based on a million other things, but you play a role in that as well. Right. The whole it's the whole thing, right? It's it's the whole it's the whole experience. I mean, there when you're when you see the law firms with the artwork on the walls, when you see, you know, the nice lobbies, when you see I mean, that's that's all communicating both to the people in the firm and to the people or the constituencies of the firm, the clients, vendors. I mean, all that's to communicate a level of excellence. Uh, Tom, one thing that you had mentioned too that I liked uh, was that debrief before and, and you know, that pre-communication. Right. You know, that's just in general, you know, I think people lose that management or that one-on-one -on -one time with the people that they're meeting with because you do that. You come in beforehand, you have a little conversation, meeting starts afterwards, you have that debrief, you talk about what's going on. And a lot of times you lose that with the Zoom calls. Yeah, and just walking down the hall. Right. Yeah. Right? You're, on the, you're, on the, you're on the way to get a, a, a glass of water and you're like, oh, there's such and such. There's Laura. Let me go ask her a real quick question about, you know, I wouldn't have set up a Zoom meeting for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But a casual interaction where I say, hey, what's your opinion on such, such and such? What did you see in this kind of situation? What do you see in that? Um, I think that's really important part of uh, part of the goal role of office space. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, people have talked about sort of this um, people feeling dissociated, de depressed, et cetera. You know, one of the answers to that is getting back to the office. office. Yeah. Right. You know, it's let, like, let's be together again. You're not going to feel so apart. You're going to feel like you're engaged with the organization. So yeah. I sure. mean, we got to have a solution to all these things. Lauren and Brad, what's going to bring people back is creating a destinational approach in like the planning and design. And it's going to be different. And it's going to be different because of all the convergence of many factors of influence that have been happening simultaneously. The first war for talent was happening well before COVID. Diversity and equity and inclusion started well before COVID and it became uh, further enhanced in part. Technology's influence on the total engagement. I, I do think that as a result of the pandemic, there is a group of professionals who 
are rethinking the value proposition of who they work for and why they work for them and what the employer can do now to reinforce their connection with a uh, uh, with their employees' organizations. What's going to bring people back to the office is all that working remotely has realized as avoiding people's career paths or their ability to advance or ability to grow and to prosper. And for many of us, that is the need, as Tom indicated, to meaningfully connect with each other. Work from home is safe, it's comfortable, it's familiar. But we, Savos, believe strongly that uh, the workplace provides that as well, especially when there is a, already a strong culture. Mm-hmm. Technology, mentorship, cross-selling, connection with fellow attorney staffs and clients, and the communities that they serve will also be a factor in bringing uh, people back. As you both know, Brad and Lauren, this industry has historically valued what are my competitors and peer firms doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that will always be a value. We call it benchmarking, but I believe looking much more deeply in terms of who you are as a culture and practice is going to be different going forward. Just for our firms that are out there, heck, even for businesses like yourselves or even businesses like what we have here, um, how do you, what are the best practices? How do you plan? You know, I think of of our space, you know, it, newer vibe looking. Uh, it's uh, exciting to, to kind of look around, but you know, do you plan for a majority of your staff to work from home? Do you plan for them to be here? What percentage are they here or not here? What do you do? You know, I know you mentioned besides just aesthetics, but you talked about diversity and inclusion. It's important as well. You can do that in the space. But how, what are the best practices? How do you plan for such a dynamic environment? Um, I appreciate the question. In this particular industry, uh, legal, one is taught about precedent. We don't have any precedent for a pandemic workplace right now. And so when you ask what are the best practices, in part, it's rooted in a word I mentioned a minute ago, flexibility. But what we are seeing is a rather immersive approach to establishing a workplace protocol. And that immersive approach involves the perspective of leadership, the perspectives of those who are going to be impacted by the recast workplace of the future, the perspective of HR, which is playing a much more major role than it did previously, the impact of the financials of occupancy, and most importantly, in my opinion, Uh, the impact of the technology platforms or future technology platforms. If you think about it, the highest percentage of square footage associated with a legal workplace is historically allocated to what? The private office of the individual. Mm -hmm. The private office in the legal workplace is not going away. Um, But we think we're going to see 
less space dedicated to the concept of the private office, whether that is in smaller footprints of that office or in some kind of shared approach to occupancy. As many law firms are establishing these protocols and policies, there seems to be a somewhat of a consistent theme, and I don't want to overgeneralize, that depending on the amount of time you'll be spending in the space determines whether or not you will have an office dedicated to yourself 100% of the time or at some lesser amount or uh, uh, lesser application. But if you think about the tasks that are done throughout the course of the day and the technology platforms that align these spaces with your personal devices, you would be able to alternatively to a private office, which is typically associated with what? A heads down, focused, concentrated component of work. You would still be allowed to schedule various and sundry types of spaces based upon a broader offering of settings within the space. Again, the idea of the private office will always be there for you uh, because concentration, focus, confidentiality is such a critical issue. What's so critical, and I'm sorry to repeat this for the third time, Brad and Lauren, (laughs) is very important. You're good. Is the idea that from an insurance standpoint, you are designing the space that allows for error to occur. Meaning, if you erred in your uh, speculation of need, even with the engagement and immersive process, how easy with minimal capital investment is it, Brad and Lauren, to convert space to something else. And if you're designing the right way, you're not only designing for day one, Brad and Lauren, you're designing for day five because you've anticipated day five in the day one planning. So, uh, Tom, one of the things I was, you know, thinking about taking into consideration everything that Marty just covered with us, you know, I'm I'm an attorney, I have a firm, um, my lease is expiring. It's coming due here in the very near future. I need to have that flexibility that uh, Marty described. I need to be planning for day five. I need to do those things. What do I need to consider in making that choice? What what key factors, Tom, do I need to sit down and say, my new space I need to move out of this lease. I don't need to renew, but my new space needs to have this. Or I need to stay in my existing space. I just need to convert it to this. What what are what do they need to consider in helping to make that decision? So that's actually our entire job. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's that's everything. Nice, so, Brad. You know, obviously, you know, one of the things is cost, right? I mean, you might look and say, I've got space that's 20 years old but it kind of works and the rent's relatively inexpensive and it kind of works for me. You know, it is, it is a valid choice to stay where you are and to have something that isn't all 2022, you know, that it's, it's older, but it kind of works and I don't have to put a bunch of money into it. And so people make that choice. On the other hand, the office of 20 years ago typically had two size offices, both of which were probably exceedingly large 
relative to what people are doing today. I mean, now what you're, I mean, that might've had a 250 square foot office for a partner, 180 square foot office for an associate. And now you might see 140 square foot offices for everybody and they're one size. Um, what your old office might not have is the kinds of spaces that Marty talked about for engagement. You know, maybe it's just a line of offices around the outside. It's got a bunch of secretarial stations on the inside. Um, and it doesn't kind of look like um, what you need. It, it probably has a lot of file cabinets. <laughs> um, and people don't need those anymore. No. It might have more rooms. It won't have Zoom rooms. You know, there's just a lot of technology that that might be in a, in, in, in a new space that you're not going to find in the old. So a lot of times... Well, one of the things that happens, interestingly, is leases typically have escalation clauses in them. And a lot of times that will outpace market. So by the time you mm. get to the end of your lease, your rent might be somewhat above market. And now you've got this oversized space, oversized offices. And you say, if I make yeah. this all smaller and I get rid of it, mm. I had a 50,000 square foot floor plate and I had all that stuff on the inside. Now I'm going to move to like a 20,000 square foot floor plate. So it doesn't have the case rooms, it doesn't have the paper, it doesn't have the admin stations that I don't need anymore. I might come out cheaper by yeah. moving to brand new space um, because my offices just got smaller, my, my, my needs for the interior space got smaller, et cetera. So all those things. So you do that, the cost equation, and then you have the people equation. You have the issues, and this is something we haven't really touched on yet, but I mean, there's wellness, and then there's the mm -hmm. sustainability pieces. Mm -hmm. So, you know, are we doing what we need to do to sort of support the people when they come into the office in terms of the snacks, in terms yeah. of the flow of air, in terms of Culture access to in general, money? yeah. All those things, right? And then on top of that, clients are asking the law firms, what are you doing about sustainability? I, as a large organization, have pressure from our shareholders, from our customers to make sure that all of our vendors are doing the right thing. So you law firm need to tell us what you've done when you make a decision about space. What have you done about sustainability? We just worked with a law firm and I think we had like a 15 line um, uh, sheet that every building had to fill out in terms of water use, where their electricity came from. So your old building, even if you say, gosh, it's kind of cheap to stay here, it might not meet those needs of your, of your clients to say, are you doing the things you need to do? in terms of sustainability, in terms of wellness, in terms yeah. of diversity and inclusion, all those things are now playing into it. So, you know, I said, this is our entire job. <laughs> I mean, the, the process that we go through with our clients to sort of evaluate all those things and its cost and its people and its experience and its flexibility. One of the things in leases now, you think about it, you make a decision to hire a real estate broker for a larger firm five years before your lease is up. You go through the programming process three or four years before your lease is up, you know, and all these things get locked into place. So by the time your space is built, you might be like four years past the time when you made a lot of the decisions. Yeah. Now, basically when you sign a lease, a lot of times what it'll have is the ability before we move in to go up some percentage or down some percentage. We'll identify the space we might drop, we'll identify the space we might add. So that's just when you just flexibility. Over the course of time, we have the right to drop some space Ideally, you know, after five years, we have the ability to drop X percent of the space. When we renew our lease, we want we want the right not to renew on the entire space, but to renew on part of it, right? Because all these things are built into, into flexibility. I mean, one of the things that our holdover clause, 
if you think about it, this is a kind of arcane, but a typical holdover clause says you're late for a day, you pay a penalty rent for a month. Mm. So we try to say, okay, let's at least have some period of time yeah. that is per, per day, right? right? So if we're late for a day, we pay rent 150% of rent for a day, yeah. or 25% for a day. And maybe that goes for 15 days. So if somebody, you know, sneezes on the other end of the place for moving, you know, we don't get this huge penalty. Yeah, guys. And there, there's just so much to consider. And I think that's why you use experts. You know what I mean? Because there's so many things that you said today that I think the, the common person just doesn't think about because they don't have to. Um, so that being said, before we wrap up today's episode, are there any tips that you can provide our listeners for them? You know, you say, say our listeners are starting to think about their footprint, their workplace. What can they start doing themselves, whether it's something to think about, something they can actually do to start kind of optimizing their, their space on their own, you know, taking those baby steps? So the first thing is start early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Takes a long time, right? Yeah, it takes a long time. And and just as an aside, I mean, one of the things that's happening now in terms of construction, you know, oh, yeah. supply chain issues, right? Supply chain, I mean, yep. You know, now a refrigerator that used to be like, hey, no problem, might be something that's going to take a significantly longer period of time to get delivered. So the earlier you start, the earlier you can, can get things set, the better chance you'll have to sort of get all these things done. On top of that, the options that you have will be greater. Yeah. You know, the earlier you start, point. the more options, the more options you have. If you're if you're eight thousand square feet, I mean, you don't want to start too early because you, the landlords or the tenants want to deal with it. But when you get to be thirty thousand feet, fifty thousand feet, or even larger than that, the earlier you start, the more your options, the more options you're going to have. And as time passes, your options kind of go away as your ability to move into them. You know, a month before your lease is up, obviously, the only thing you can do is stay. In terms of the baby steps, I mean, there are so many. There's so much information, kind of like what we're doing here today. I mean, there's podcasts. We and our competitors are putting things out there. I mean, just if the person who's responsible for the space, just stay up on the literature, just mm-hmm. see what kind of things are happening. Just think about it. Um, and I know that's what people are doing because there's so much of it out there. I know there's a little fatigue now about <laughs> the pandemic, but yeah. I think there's a lot Hybrid of energy. Hybrid work environment. Yeah, it's everywhere. There's a lot of energy about what do we do moving forward and how do we bring people back and how are we effective in that regard? Yeah, Marty? definitely. Uh, the only thing I would add to that, and I appreciated the uh, request to put it in the perspective of Baby Steps, Lauren, um, is to uh, get a good sense of what it is, especially post-pandemic uh, or during the pandemic, um, your people value in the workplace. Um, And that will start to define at a very high level what is going to uh, make the workplace meaningful to the professional staff and and the support staff. The pandemic has done some good things, as you indicated earlier in this conversation. And the health, well-being, and safety factor is, in my opinion, one of the greatest things that has resulted uh, in that process. And so I do believe that between the competition, the fierce uh, war for this talent, the health and well-being, what employees want, that some very, very high level questions of what do you value 
And if you if you have a strong HR department and a strong leadership team and a strong executive committee, you're already doing this already, but at a very high level, uh, start to ask some of these questions and it'll uh, immediately advise and inform uh, a process that will spur opportunities for what-if scenarios. And those what-if scenarios are aligned with the financial modeling and you make deductions based upon these scenarios that you create for your particular culture. Love it. Yep. Well, thank you. Yeah, Tom and Marty, thank you guys so much. Everything was really insightful. Um, I I learned a lot. I know nothing about real estate, but I think there's just there's so much to consider, and that's why it's helpful to know someone who really keeps tabs on everything going on. I mean, I'm sure it changes constantly, but especially over the past two years, um, you guys are probably probably pretty up to speed. So I'm sure everything has changed pretty quickly, but you guys are on it, right? And will continue to change. Yeah. It's it's something that you need that partner. So, all right. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you both. Perfect. I appreciate it. All right. And everybody, thanks for tuning into another episode of the Lex Factor and we'll talk to you next time. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, soon. Yes, I'm going to put that out there. Oh. Because I want them to listen to the next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be Like, soon. subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Wherever listen you soon. get your podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's important to like us. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.